Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn, Listener Support Radio. We're here with co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Hello there, VJ. How are you today? Oh, good, good. Happy spring. Happy, Happy spring. spring. Yeah, Indeed. Wonderful, wonderful beginning to a new season. Spring has sprung. It, uh, it is springing as we speak. We have, uh, we've got some good sun. We've got some good weather. Um, I don't know if you, you saw that they're uh, getting rid of uh, daylight savings time. I don't know yeah, I heard about Senate. that. They're voting on the, it passed the House of Representatives? Uh, Senate uh, uh, unanimous approval. Oh, wow, they did. Yeah. They did. So, oh, so speaking of truth to, to power, power yeah. in terms of illumination, we're yeah. going to have more sun, it looks like. <laughs> for, oh, wow, for, wow. Yeah, yeah. So like... I mean, are you, you a fan? You you like? Would you rather it be sunny all day, or or you prefer to kind of walk about while the the sun is set? Yeah, I guess uh, a good amount of sun is good. More I sun, mean, especially yeah. And so I guess I like it in the evening a little bit more than I care about the evening a little bit more than I care about the, then waking the, up to waking it. up to it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, prefer yeah. to have it in the evening. So what does that mean now for us? That means that more than likely we have more sun in the evening. Uh, more sun in the evening, but it doesn't take an effect till next. So it would be March 2023. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But well, we would never, we wouldn't have to change the clocks again. So yeah, well, uh, yeah. Which you know, maybe we'll be more like Iceland, I guess. Well, they yeah. got the the midnight sun there, where it's it's sunny all the way till midnight. Um, but yeah, you know, the post war crew get to enjoy a little bit extra extra sun. Yeah, and maybe you know. People will, will get that extra vitamin D. There'll, there, there'll be perhaps less seasonal affective disorder. I mean, you know, there's, there's countless uh, reasons that this is a good thing. And the Senate agreed on some things wow. for once. Yeah, all, all the, I think I saw the Trevor Noah say that, um, you know, all, all, sides, all people on the political spectrum finally found something they agreed with. <laughs> right, right. You know, for like the first time in a long time, yeah. yeah He's yeah. like, we, it's good to solidarity in that. Find solidarity in that, in that uh, frustration uh, of around the clocks. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Are we waiting for somebody today, or are we going to just... Yeah, be, yeah. I guess we can play one of his songs just to plug in. Who do we in. got coming in today? Um, well, we have a call-in from Christopher Lott. Um, okay. His band is uh, Wall of Ears. So um, we can listen a little bit to his improv- musical, musical improvisation of um, Wall of Ears um, from his album. Uh, I think we'll play... Um, Let's see. Let me see. What, uh, Beyond Thought, which is the 2020 album, uh, live uh, album. Um, we'll play. Uh, I'm trying to see what is if anything has a star on it, but we'll just play the first track on it for now. Uh, no, we'll play the second track. I think um, a little bit of that since the first track is only a minute long. So we'll play. Uh, Never seen so much velvet live. Um, that goes a little bit. We'll probably cut into it. Before. All right. Never yeah. seen so much velvet by uh, Wall of Ears. Yeah. Wall yeah. of Live Ears. In Seattle. Yeah. It's early morning for him. So. Well, he, he might not have turned his clock back. Yeah. Well, exactly. He did turn his clock back. <laughs> so we'll see. All right. Let's let's check out some Wall of Ears. Thank you. 
Oh dear. Seems like uh, there's a little interruption there in the sound. Um, we'll continue with that in one second. Um, yeah, so how'd you enjoy it? Uh, an ominous uh, feel right there that and then there was a a, a wall that came between me and my ears all of a sudden and, <laughs> and the song suddenly uh, stopped yeah, yeah let's see um we'll try to sign in again or, or i'll try to get your phone to plug in was it somebody else came into an account yeah i think so yeah okay kind of interrupted that but um yeah yeah so uh Listening, uh, the um, idea of improvisation is something that really strikes me with it and how we roll with the punches, how we kind of improvise in our lives and improvise both in, stru in structural, I think preparation requires it. If you talk a little bit about, like, what do you think about improvisation as far as, like, um, of life philosophy goes? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, get, gets, can, get you, can get you out of your head. Uh, mm. Without uh, all this uh, kind of pre-planning and, and overthinking yeah. uh, through improvisation, um, improvisation musically is a, is a, another different thing though. Where if you're if you're thinking you want to stay kind of on a rhythm, does the improvisation come when you deviate from a prescribed time signature or from a perceived rhythm? Because is it really information? Is it improvisation if you're just following? Uh, melody that you already know how it's going to pan out mm. um so you know like jazz um is improvised and, and a good jazz group that can just kind of hear what's happening and then paint the background and really uh um really bring you know something something to life um i think that even good improvisation requires planning requires a degree of planning yeah yeah i think that it's amazing how much structure there is in um in like comedic improvisation they have so much structure in regards to you know like they give they give you so much so many directives guidelines that you keep in mind or internalize mm -hmm. and then slowly slowly you start to allow yourself within those fences become uh freed you know right within right. restrictions we find that freedom you know yeah yeah i mean Definitely a comedic improvising, music improv, uh, improvisation. Um, improv, improvising in life, I guess, you know, we're doing that all the time. If you're truly present with life, uh, everything is an improvisation. I mean, you're not really giving a conditioned response. Um, typically, you know, when you go to work in the morning, um, you kind of have your kind of rehearsed, uh, good morning, good morning, good morning, yeah. good morning, good morning. Um, but if you are present truly present it is all an improvisation you're hearing where that person is taking into account their temperature um and you know you never know what uh, uh meandering pathway you might you might go down I, I you know you try to snap yourself into that every now and again because you hate to be on autopilot throughout a throughout a whole day yeah, yeah. and also one of the other themes of this episode is going to be consciousness and awareness and how we can kind of cultivate a kind of um you know, like a deeper sense of awareness of ourselves, our environment, and those levels of awareness, levels of consciousness, I think is, is important to key in on. What, is your, what are your thoughts on uh, kind of levels of awareness? Is there like a, do you believe in or do you perceive yourself as, um, you know, the egoic persona, and then you have that deeper level of consciousness? Do you believe in like the collective unconscious or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, 
I tend to love, like I've mentioned this on the show before, you know, the zoom in and the zoom out. Yeah. Where, I mean, I'm just like, okay, I'm part of something, but I really like to kind of zoom out and see everything as a whole. Even if I'm part of it, you know, you chime in with a witty remark, but I'm always aware kind of of what's happening as a whole. Mm. Uh, sometimes I'll give off the impression that I'm not paying attention, but I'm paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, you know, you might be tuning out, but you're really aware of everything that's kind of happening at any given at any given moment um i i relate that to i don't know i was a fraternity uh brother back in the day Mm -hmm. and like you know if you're around a (laughs) an environment where some people's uh, faculties are slightly impaired Mm. But you yourself are not. You're kind of on the outside looking in and, you know, you're looking at, oh, this is what's happening right there. Perhaps it's my own kind of control issues of like you like to be able to kind of see that hole so you can, you know, kind of uh, see what's happening. How about about yourself? Yeah, it's interesting when you think about um, altered state of consciousness, uh, kind of seems to be tipping into. And, um, you know, one of the things we're going to talk about was psychedelics and like, you know, I understand now they're using certain uh, um, psychedelic drugs to help with addiction. So that's one of the themes in, in my classes we're doing is uh, like certain, certain aspects of uh, hallucinogens. Certain hallucinogens are used with the treatment of um, addiction. It kind of jolts your brain, like similar to, like similar to the uh, thesis behind, I believe, some kind of electro ECT or electroconvulsive therapy. I mean the C sensor, but the ECT is when they, they give you a shock therapy. You know, so I think I think I'm I'm not I'm speaking kind of off my own interpretation, not the science behind it. But I think hallucinogens uh, might give a reset to your brain in the same way that ECT was supposed to have done. Yeah, right. And uh, I mean. You know, as we talk about hallucinogens, not not uh, any time somebody is taking them should be in some sort of guided situation yeah. where they're not kind of off on their own. Yeah. Because what always, you know, not worried me but concerned me, but was if there's somebody even with a history of addiction, mm. whether it be to a particular drug, and then they enter into hallucinogens, how do they balance that off of uh. of they've gotten rid of any type of intake of drug, and then all of a sudden they're they're taking in one and, and is it supposed to be like all right i took this one and no. now i'm not going to feel addicted uh, to another substance again just by introducing it back into someone who protect particularly has been clean for a whole period of time is it worth them uh going down in, in you know into that if they're guided and, you know i could understand somebody being pretty hesitant to want to uh to even open up that box even if it's going to get rid of it all um <laughs> To, now, to know. I, I suspect, although from the lecture, that is a controlled, like a, not a microdose, but it's like a controlled amount of the hallucinogen, mm-hmm. and they're kind of giving it to you to restart your brain. And they're not—I don't know whether you actually like hallucinate. I don't know, like whether or not in this treatment plan, there the, the idea is to make you hallucinate. I don't think that's the uh, concept. Right. You know, obviously that would be kind of a little ridiculous to like, you know, kind of then use another like highly um, explosive drug. But I think it definitely accesses those parts of your brain that, um, you know, kind of have certain information that can help you with your right. But is it then? Do you have an association with your addiction as something? Are you disgusted by it, and Uh, thus you don't uh, indulge in some sort of thing, or? Like just that compulsory impulse that uh, that 
comes in, you that has been muted within within your within your psyche. Mm. Um, have you had hallucinogens in your on your own? Uh, have you embarked on a spiritual journey of any sort? <laughs> I have embarked on a spiritual journey, but not so much through hallucinogens. I have I have used a little bit of um, marijuana, sure, uh, which in a sense has given me some you know kind of altered states and right. uh, all this kind of thing, and then. Um, Nothing beyond that. No, yeah. sort of. no same yeah. same on that. You know, yeah. I, I had gone to Peru and I had like an intention of potentially, you know, doing some sort of yeah. um, ayahuasca experience. And I found, you know, the the connection I had with nature and the experience of the journey itself, I felt I had no need to enter into some other uh, to other realm. Yeah. You know, my, my goals of the trip had been reached. I was on a spiritual journey closer to Pachamama or Mother Nature than, uh, than I, f- who knows, than I would have been had I been uh, in, uh, altered, slightly, yeah. slightly altered. But I was, you know, alive, attentive, really kind of uh, present um, while ascending, you know, a mountain out there. So uh, you know, I don't know if I'm 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 seeking that. Um, you know, you talk to somebody that has, and they will, you know, like it's it's changed their life in in any way. Um, but um, would you particularly be be fearful of having a bad experience? Yeah, uh, I think as, I think. Well, I just want to comment one one thing is that uh, Dennis. Uh, Leary? What? Dennis Leary? Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary. <laughs> Timothy Leary. Dennis Leary, the comedian. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. D- Timothy Leary. Yeah, yep, right. Yep. Uh, Timothy Leary said something along the lines of, like, it'll produce psychosis in those who don't take right. LSD, right? <laughs> so that was interesting. But um, I have experienced some non-drug-related kind of altered states, the spiritual and mm-hmm. and, 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 and categorized within the mental illness um, spectrum. Uh, so I've experienced some of that. So I am a little fearful of using something unless I've really kind of you know, um, shepherded processed and shepherded it. Yeah, exactly. Guided it guided. in a way that would make sure that I'm mentally in the right place and I'm in the right environment. I wouldn't want to go on a bad trip. Yeah, I think there is some fear of a, a bad trip because which the the um, psychological um, reload from that could take a little while. You right, know, it could be it could be bad. Uh, you know, just from the conversations I've had, we we both we're pretty analytical. We have yeah. kind of analytical minds too, and like, you know. Going through one of those experiences, I feel like we would go within the, with bringing this analytical mind mm. to it. I don't know, is it better to succumb to the experience, mm. let it be a more improvisational experience without any preconceived notion or any type of thing? You know, like the idea of, I guess, um, be allowing everything to happen, but without you know going, I guess, too deep that you can't go back. But yeah. you have to be open, you know. Um, it makes me think of like hypnotism, like, you know, like open to the power of suggestion um, mm. makes you more susceptible to where you're going to go. But still getting back to like the zoom in, zoom out, still be able to know, OK, this is a almost curated experience for me that I'm going to come out of. Yeah, no, true, true. And it kind of makes me triggers in me the thoughts about, um, you know, kind of how we interact with our environment, how we produce things. Like there's a whole idea that I've been exploring, uh, panpsychism, mm. which is where consciousness basically produces the environment. So it's not just the you, uh, you not the traditional understanding is that we're independent agents, like going through an environment of uh, objective objectivity, objectivity, and like there's an external environment um, that we're moving towards, towards uh, through, and that you know when we go through altered states of consciousness, we're like having our own internal experience. But in this panpsychic or this kind of 
conscious only model, like where things can happen if we have a bad trip, we can kind of pull in, you know, certain things. Or if we have a good trip, we can kind of have better experience in our life in general. We're producing the environment, in other words, in our consciousness. Right, that right. makes sense, yeah. So yeah. that that presupposes that we're not in some sort of matrix, though. That, yeah. That uh, that well, somebody is still pulling the strings outside of it, or we're all in some sort of simulation. Yeah. Um, you you believe in that at all? Yeah, I think it, I think the consciousness only model actually almost is like the matrix. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. it's like the matrix, but we're the ones who are the individual is the ones producing the matrix rather than a external agent. Um, Kind of manipulating it. It's like we're in the Within ones who each are consciousness, Within each there's, consciousness, there's yeah. multi matrices. Multi matrices, yeah, yeah. Multi multiple matrices. <laughs> matrices. Matrices. <laughs> matrices. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Amazing. amazing. All overlapping because you know it's amazing how um, when you really investigate, all the assumptions about the world are you know overlapping. We have our shared experiences, but also we all have certain assumptions that are different that produce a, a level of you know, hidden assumptions behind those blatant assumptions, obvious assumptions. We have hidden assumptions that, about the world that, you know, kind of produce that experience that, you know, create, create reactions in us, those implicit understandings, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hidden assumptions. Can you think of any hidden assumptions? Um, yeah, I think like the expectation of, you know, that everyone should, uh, the checklist of life, you know, that everyone should attend school, you know, attend college, yep. go to get a job, get married, start a family, have a child. These kinds of hidden assumptions. Some people don't have that, um, obviously. But uh, as we wrestle with life, you know, as we meet people, we realize people have different assumptions about life, you know, or they have different implicit understandings about life from how they've been raised, you know. So, I mean, hmm. I mean, you got to trace that as far back. I mean, those are those are evolved traits over time. Where, where they actually stem from? Of, mm. of, like, like if you think of like the first, yeah, the first beings. There was no marriage. There was no. Uh, it was multiple people with yeah multiple partners. And I'm sure, like how these have have um, developed over time. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely I think uh, relationships and understanding, uh, when you think about the collective understanding, mm -hmm. and then there's the individual understanding. And thinking of uh, the Jungian ideas of collective unconscious is another level of that. But uh, there's always different levels of understanding. And, um, you know, I would say that, uh, yeah, how that collective understanding has, has evolved. But also, I think that when you think about collective understandings, you know, there's a way to romanticize the past. There's a tendency to romanticize the past. In the, in the past or past modalities, that uh, things were better. And I really resist that tendency. I really try to resist or work against romanticizing the past at the detriment of what we are now. I think every, every time period, every time period in human history had its pathologies and its, and its um, gifts. You know? So it has its pathos and its, and its real richness. So we have to just be able to see the... Uh, See the way in which we can exist. Yeah. You're saying as a society or as an individual? So society, like, society. As a society yeah. being better off, but also, I mean, as an individual, do you ever look back and be like, oh, during this period of life, I was uh, enjoyed, you know, while you were in college or, yeah. you know, while, you know, um, mm. like, a, but better to not look even on the past and, you know, as long as you're growing and evolving yeah. with every, you know, with, within the passage of time. But yeah, realizing, you know, you don't need to reach certain milestones necessarily mm. in life. I mean, yeah. 
I tend to just believe, you know, you know, you want to enjoy life as much as you can, uh, the, the, the present and each section of time. Um, but like, is there a core, what would you say is like a core philosophy you, you live by? Yeah, I mean, well, I just want to comment on nostalgia. Like, I think like sure. nostalgia was the thing that I kind of resist against. So in other words, like kind of longing for the past is what I'm trying to resist against. And the core philosophy being that we're kind of, um, you know, that, you know, the tendency in people to blame external circumstances and myself as well and kind of be this kind of, um, it's more empowering, I think. It's this empowerment that comes with understanding that, um, you know, we're manifesting, we can manifest, we have the power or influence over our environment, we're co-creating at the very least, and kind of the exercising that ability to uh, access our deepest sense of, of being, whether it, be, whether it be through the head and heart metaphor, you know, kind of thinking log- logically and then thinking emotionally. That's one way into it. Um, but also, like, being going to the gut, even our instinctual mm. um, understandings, uh, conditioning that with the emotional uh, and well-being of the person. All the different levels, all the different chakras, all the different um, levels of, of our energy sources. So I kind of live by that. But there's no particular, I don't know if there's any, like, Particularly, I just following that compass, following that internal compass is is what I kind of get directed by. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, if we try to think of you know the themes of of your life and whether or not those those are changing as as we grow, mm. or is there something that you know has remained constant throughout throughout your entire life? I was thinking the other day, like the the idea of I feel everything is connected, you know, through language. But I've I've since expanded that to to be everything is connected through language, love, and logic, uh, all three uh, bases yeah. uh, to 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 encompass. Whereas previously it had just been language and the words, oh, you know, yeah. that, that have been connecting everything from one to one to one, and that being kind of my guidepost. But I feel like even the words, yeah, you got to let in the emotion and then and then the brain too, uh, to a degree. Uh, so yeah. It makes me think of that uh, three-word uh, cliche almost now: love, laugh, lo- li- live, live, laugh, love, live, laugh, love. Right, yeah, right. It almost makes you feel like that. That the, nowadays in our nomenclature, if you will, we're kind of resisting that. We're kind of working against that. A lot of people I see a lot of memes like joking about that as being like too much positivity. But I guess here we have language, love, and uh, logic. Right, the three. Language, yeah. love, and logic, yeah. yeah. I mean, but you bring in love, you know, there is the positives and negatives that go along with that. Mm. There, With every love, there is the heartbreak uh, as well, yeah. or, you know, the, the absence of it as well as, you know, the presence of it, the longing for and having. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then with even, you know, so I guess within each of those, live, laugh, love, you have to let in that the inverse is possible. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to live, you know, you're acknowledging that there are those around us that do die. Uh, live, laugh, and then, yeah, laugh to be able to laugh sometimes when there is some harsh things uh, that are happening to be able to still find some joy even in the you know saddest of moments. Um, live, laugh, love. Also, I would, I would question, and even in your modality, the logic, that's something I would question because I don't know whether or not, I've moved away from that now, like lo- the rational Log- logical mind. I'm, I'm doing the robot kind of a, a <laughs> dance here, and people can't see that, but it kind of feels like, oh, this is logical, highly logical, highly logical, you know, like or the Spock mentality or the data from the Star Trek um, series, how they, they evolved into a more emotional 
you know, more human, if you will. So I question that logic right. aspect. Right. Uh, you know, there's there's that balance of science, science mm. and faith. You know, like the idea of certain things of science that are that we can't that we can't deny. But mm. you're you know you're you're still open to new discoveries and you know trial and error and those sorts of things. But but being able to figure things out and sure it's more fun to, to yeah. think that there's no explanation for certain things some sometimes. But mm. you know. That idea of logic, you know, you're 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 close, and things that are proven, we can accept. I mm. mean, um, at at this point, so yeah, logic, yeah, a little, yeah, little, they little, do the Vulcan, little uh, live long and and, long and prosper. prosper. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, and there's no, I guess, yeah, live uh, in. Um, there's no mention of finances in that. That's mm. a whole other another uh, uh, realm. I yeah, mean, I don't know where you stand in terms of in terms of uh, you know, money and financial gain, and yeah. that's you know security. Where, yeah, I mean, I, I try not to live my life through that, but yeah. um, you know, logic is, I guess, tied to to numbers a little bit, and you know, do mm. you have you know having a certain amount? Um, but yeah, money, 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 money. Yeah, is, is, money uh, makes the world go round. It something. makes the world go round in this yeah. in this world. You know, those yeah. those that have it and those that don't. But you know, yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that that's one of the things, the hidden assumptions behind life that people um, have. I think things come to you when you need them and you're able to kind of create things as you need. Hmm. Uh, I understand there's the kind of the cold, hard facts of how much you're sitting on, you know, all this kind of thing. But also, I, I do believe in like the power of, of the manifestation that when you need something, it'll, it'll you know, and you kind of genuinely, not just like a want in a kind of superficial way, but when your life and your life purpose is aligned, there's an alignment that things will come to you as needed, you know, as you're kind of yeah, producing yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, well, moving in the direction, you know, if you move directly towards money, mm. it might not move yeah. towards you. But yeah. if you move towards, you know, I guess something you love and something that uh, is, is keeping you alive and, and active and happy, um, yeah, you know, like you said, some of the other things that you need for survival and and will 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 gravitate towards you. Yeah, I do think that money is like a byproduct of other processes. In other words, like as you're saying, you don't want to move right into it like a seduction. You know, you don't want to move directly into the face of money. Like, like I mean, then you become like a slave of money. Like you're chasing after it all the time. But you do want to kind of allow for the what what uh, what money provides access and all this kind of thing to happen based on your kind of passions and your interests and your pursuing what you love kind of a thing, letting your heart lead. And these things will ultimately fall into place, you know, naturally, um, you know, as your kind of scope of your, of your mission becomes wider, I think you'll definitely find that more access and more, you know, more kind of um, resources, more resources will become available. available I I really do believe that. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, you want to play a song? song yeah, Just why don't for we a play... sec, we're at a halfway mark. Let's play. Um, you know, uh, should we play something else from Wall of Ears? We got uh, the 2021 album. It is. Uh, I'll just play uh, the first track, "Sleep Talking." Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, because perhaps that's what he's doing right now. Yeah. Oops. Let's see. Let's get this. Cut. Never see. It's 
Hello? Hello, hello. Yes, good to hear from what's you, Chris. Up, DJ? That's good okay. What's, what's up? We're here with uh, this is the Truth to Power show and Radio for Brooklyn. We're here with co host Scott Raven and special guest Christopher Law, who uh, is calling in from uh, Seattle. So we, as we were listening to uh, your, your um, track, Sleep Talking, I think you were in the middle of sleep talking at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah perfect yeah. timing. <laughs> perfect timing, though. Yeah. So it's, we're about halfway through. It's so, very yeah. true. Yeah. Glad to be here. Sorry about all this confusion. And, <laughs> no, that, that, uh, is the, that is the improvisation of life. But curious, did, did, were you dreaming before, before this? Was there anything that's fresh in the mind? Yeah. Um, you know, there was just a solid, I would say, empty void. Ah, okay. <laughs> it felt like I was like a piece of concrete buried uh, beneath the surface of the earth. Uh, deep, deep slumber. I love it. Yeah. So deep. we were talking yeah. in the first half of the show, we were talking a little bit about improvisation, uh, which seems to be uh, a major theme for you, uh, musical improvisation. And we were discussing how structure can sometimes allow for deeper experience with improvisation, but we want to hear your take on musical improvisation, how that works. Yeah. So I think structure can provide a really good starting point for creative play because then you know what some boundaries are. Then you have some parameters to work with and it gives you a starting place. Like say, um, like the jazz idiom, there's usually a key that you might be playing in or you might have um if you're like improvising um lyrics or going doing a poem with someone they say a line and then you can respond to them so there's somewhat of a system in place and i think that really makes it feel not so um like my dream was just empty void just pure blackness right it's it's there's a little bit more uh, there's something to react to. Ah. And so that that can open up, um, I think, a lot of vistas that, that are not open if you just... If you just stare at the blank sheet of paper, right, it can be very harrowing. It can be like, where's the first... Where's the first paintbrush that I put on this to react to? Mm. Um, and if you have parameters, then you, you kind of already have your first step there because you can just go with a stream of consciousness thought that's going to uh, ignite uh, whatever formula that you have. So, so I think it's good to have parameters. I think it's also good to just see where it goes. Um, if you're reacting to someone, I think you're, you're finding the truth in the moment that's, that's unfolding right then. Great. Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm uh, coming from a poetry background myself and, um, you, you know, I, I want to see how this kind of compares to music. You mentioned parameters. I also like, you know, for creativity, working with constraints, uh, whether that's, you know, like I can't use a certain letter or, you know, you're using a form. What would be equivalent musically to like a literary constraint? Would it be like, all right, I can't plus, press any of the black keys while I'm improvising? Or have you done any type of like improv impro musical improvisation with constraint? Yeah, it's it's really fun to figure out a system of notes that you may use before. Like when I'm working with children, which is one of my, what I do as a job right mm -hmm. now um, is kind of do music therapy with kids. Huh. Um, and, but it's almost, I'm a music specialist. I'm not a trained music therapist, so it's a little different, but I do it really how I want to, which is amazing. 
And, uh, yeah, reducing it to a certain uh, key or a, a mode or a scale um, can be really, really amazing. Like, for some students, I'll be like, okay, we'll just play the black keys. Right. Right? And then you have a, a pentatonic scale that they can play really easily, and every single note is going to sound melodic to their ears. Right. Whereas if you just let them... Um, or, you know, it can go well even even without this. But if you just have a free-for-all, it might end up being a totally atonal, uh, you know, keyboard smashing every single note, put your arm on it, and bang, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. So yeah. reducing it to a certain um, scale or notes that you know will work is a great strategy to, to get started. Um, and sometimes when, when I would be... R- if I'm writing a song or I want to figure out what notes work, I might play to a drone. I find that really great. So that gives you, like in Indian music, is, is, has always been built this way, but there's a drone or a tonic that's defining the entire music. So there's this continuous pulsating static sound in the background that all the other music orbits around in relationship to that note. Mm. I like that. So I want to say, you know, we brought up a little bit in the first half, a little bit of the idea of drugs and altered states of mind. And it's interesting, what I, now what's triggering in my mind is the idea of drunk history, the, the show Drunk History, um, how they get historians, they get them drunk, and then they talk on point about a specific historical event or a specific historical character. And then they kind That's of hilarious. produce yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, they produce a narrative and that. So, like, have you ever produced music on drugs because you mentioned psychedelics as being a very heavy influence. And what was your experience? What, what was the product of that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's probably been a couple of times where, well, I'll say that cannabis is definitely like in so many of my recordings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find that one to be really fluid and musical because you don't go too far off the deep end where you, um, you, you can really get into abstract tangents. It can, it can work that way, but I just find it's a very musical um, medicine to work with. Like mm. it's, And obviously people have been doing that for, for a very long time. You always hear, Stone is a jazz musician. <laughs> um, that's a phrase I'm familiar with. But in terms of the, the other psychedelics, I've, I've played a lot under the influence of them, but not necessarily in the studio because Generally, you're not that worried about recording when you're in that state. You're more worried about just what's coming up and what you're feeling in the moment. Mm. And I've never been like uh, that interested in recording that moment for myself. I've I've listened to lots of recordings um, of certain albums that are made under that influence. But I think for me, it's more like you, you, you experiment in that altered state with a plant perhaps in making music. And then you kind of take that lesson, whatever it gave you, whatever you learned from it and whatever kind of exploratory mode. And that is accessible later on. Mm. That is accessible later on. You take that into the music. And so for me, Wall of Years has always been like an expression of altered states through uh, through music, but but ne- I really haven't ever, I would say, been on a psychedelic in recording. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. interesting. I never, I've it never reminds, thought to do it yet. 
It reminds me a little bit of uh, the, the, the urban legend. I don't know if it's urban legend or not. You may know a little bit more about this. William Burroughs allegedly wrote Naked Lunch in like an altered state, and then he woke up one day and he was like, what is this text or something like that? It's, this is what I've heard, that he was like, this text is something he wrote completely out of his mind. Um, I'm not sure. What, do you, I know you're familiar with the beatniks a little bit better than I am, so um, what, what, do you, have you yeah. heard that legend or have you heard that idea? Yeah, and I think it comes a little bit like the stream of consciousness for for me in, in getting into that flow does come from the beatniks, yeah. Burroughs, Kerouac, all those guys who would just go with it, mm. uh, just start writing and just turn that into something, right? Like everything is embraced. Um, and that I thought that was such a powerful way of communicating that it became huge for me. And I, I wanted to do the musical equivalent of that, basically mm. saying yes to as many ideas as possible um, and learning to not second guess yourself, but that actually whatever comes up is considered valid for that musical moment. Yeah. And speaking and, speaking on that, I think the container is what I think we're talking about as far as restrictions and, you know, and, and limitations. Uh, the idea of a container, the power of a container, the idea of a container being that you're kind of, you have some vessel in your mind, mental vessel or psychic vessel in which you're putting this energy so then it has some restriction. Can you speak a little bit on the power of container? You say, um, and the shared intelligence and compassion assistance of the people present, the presence being that. Yeah, I think in your answers, you're talking about the power of container. Yeah. Yes. And uh, another thing to, to just riff off, like you mentioned William Burris, he woke up and he was like, wait, what is this naked lunch thing that I made? You know? Yeah. And I would say that that is kind of like how Wall of Years music is. I don't really have any memory of making the music because it because it is improvised it is that mm. it is actually just unfolding in the moment and so y you are so invested in the flow that there isn't really a conscious thought happening and you are just reacting to the other musicians that are around and they're doing the same thing so to me it's this really beautiful strategy of making music that, that gets to actually what the core of making music is all about, which is reacting in the moment to, to some stimuli, right. um, but cohesively, which is almost, it's, it's um, Vijay and I, and I have talked before about non-duality and I feel like it gets to the core of that also yeah. a, a moment that is happening that will never happen again in which everyone is honed in into a feedback loop of responding to each other. And, um, yeah, there's, you, you basically can't think. That's why I have an album called Beyond Thought, um, because I feel like that's actually what you, you are doing. You're getting beyond any sort of conceptual framework of thinking. If, if The second you think, the song's thrown off. Mm -hmm. The second you think, like, uh, you're, you're slowing down the momentum that you already have right so so uh jumping off that idea how do we know when when it when it should end what are we using as a benchmark for that are we using time that like art we get to a certain time and it's over or you know when something peters out it ends or like how do you assure yourself that you're ending at a peak rather than ending after something is kind of thinned out yeah that's a good point so i think there is just a felt sense of of when something is coming to an end. Mm. Um, I'll take like the song sleep talking that you, that you guys just listened to. 
So that original track is probably 30 minutes long. Uh, mm. And then like listening back to it, you can, it doesn't mean that every moment is going to be the best moment and that it's worthy of putting on an album. This is what I think. There's the editing side of it. And so for, for me, we go into the studio, we make a track like Sleep Talking, which is just part of a much longer jam. Maybe the other 25 minutes of it didn't get used at all. But And actually, I believe Sleep Talking, like the section that we used, was right in the middle of the song, of, of the of the 30-minute total song. So it, it kind of got cropped down to just the nugget of, what I'll call gold, not that I'm saying the music is gold, I'm just saying that's the, the, the moment that is everyone is shining and there's the least amount of thinking going on in just true musical communion. And so in that instance, you know, it wasn't like we didn't know when the song ended necessarily, but when you listen back, there might be an obvious part where you cut in. Now, if you're playing a live show, because you have the the audience is there, their ears and their experience of what's happening um, becomes part of what makes the shape of the song, mm-hmm. right? They're, you're connecting with them. Their listening brings a new kind of awareness. Just like when I'm on this podcast and I'm talking, it's different than when I'm talking to my mom. The audience has changed. Or if I'm talking to myself, which may be a much more fragmented, uh, intuitive base like abstract way of thinking Hmm. but when i'm talking to you i know how my sentences need to to be or not even that i know i feel them out and they take shape as i say them so that they can be punctuated correctly and end in a way that is distinct and transmits a message and so this happens organically when there's an audience there um and is also what makes music to me so so beautiful in in relation to um, writing. Um, I also uh, have a background in writing fiction and poetry, and I really love the relationship with the audience because I can create in real time for people and actually incorporate their experience of what's happening into what's coming forth. Um, and that always seems so much better for, for my personal relationship with uh, connecting with others more than sitting at the typewriter for uh, many years at a time. Yeah, no, I can agree with that, which, uh, you know, it's a little, when you're putting out a, uh, a a book to be read, it's a little bit tougher where, yeah, like, like, uh, you know, they're going to have that relationship. Maybe they're going to bring, bring into the building uh, or some like a time they heard, they heard you before, but uh, if it's just them and the page, uh, what are other ways you can kind of get get through to them? Um, sometimes, um, exactly. And, and I guess you know that that ties in a little bit towards the visual aspects of things, which we haven't talked. We're talking mainly auditorily, but um, you know, tell tell a little bit about your connection, I guess, to surrealism or visual art. If if there's any type of um, kind of imagery that that goes through your mind while while creating music or uh, kind of the visual arts a little bit? Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up, and lots of people did. This is, a, this is a normal experience. But you see the paintings of Salvador Dali. I'm thinking of like seeing the melting clocks mm-hmm. like in grade school, middle school, 
And you're like, whoa. It, I remember just having such a strong effect on me. Like, that's not something that, you know, would happen in real life. I guess you could put a clock in the microwave, but it would look a little different. It would probably spark up and explode. Right, yeah. And so that exposure to that at a young age just always got me thinking, what are these moments that are impossible? Like, what are, you know, and obviously a lot of this work is like, can express a hallucinatory um, state. And so I, I just remember as a young kid being shocked by that and gravitating towards any art that seemed to also have this kind of magical, impossible quality, which I, I'm taking it back to music, but I'll come back to the visual, um, which got me interested in the, la the later era Beatles work, where obviously they were actually taking... Um, psychedelic compounds and letting that influence their music. So there was a little bit of that impossible quality, that magic coming in. Um, I also think of authors like Tom Robbins. Yeah, um, a Seattle uh, native, I believe, right? Yeah. He is. Yeah. He is. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, electric Kool Aid Acid Test, Thomas Wolfe. Um, Ken Kesey, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. So here it is again. This is literature, but it's they're taking the psychedelic experience and they were transmuting that into literature. Um, and then for visual art, um, I would say also let's extend that to, to films mm -hmm. and finding like Federico Fellini, like eight and a half, uh, my, my favorite movie. Yeah. Um, David Lynch, like the, the works of him, um, Oh, you're a fan Holy of Hodorow Hodorowski, yeah. Hodorowski. Yeah. One of my, one of my yeah, faves, like, for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. so good. Yeah, and, and those, the, what, what strikes me with those is, like, you're actually, you're seeing the images, like you mentioned, the melting clocks, and how is it, like, happening in some of Hodorowski's films. The, 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 the surrealist images, they're actually being filmed as if it's reality, I guess, uh, when you see, like, yeah. birds coming out of somebody or them carrying an elephant, you know, like... Like things that are that that are seemingly impossible, but they are made possible uh, through through film without exactly. even special the, effects. That's the realism part of this surreal experience, right? They're making right. it actuality, yeah. and so yeah, yeah. So that really opened up a world for me. Like, whoa, impossible things can happen. We're not limited to this mundane human experience where um, we're always you know going by the physics of what we what we think reality is yeah exactly. i think definitely um yeah yeah I, I was gonna say the non-dual perspective as well kind of allows for the idea that we can that pl reality is plastic the reality is like malleable we were talking a little bit about this earlier how um we create our reality and create reality even out of consciousness that, that ma matter is born out of consciousness so really all the scientific you know when we get to the point where you know, Jung was saying something about this in a quote I read recently, that the scientific understanding has removed subjectivity or, or proposed to remove subjectivity from the picture, and that has allowed a kind of projection to happen of consciousness onto, onto things that we create a kind of a, a get trapped in that. We're not able to co-create anymore. We're kind of slaves to perceived laws rather than creating our reality, you know? Yep. Yeah, we think there's just one way that something can be, and uh, we kind of get stuck in that mode of thinking. And I would say that kind of 
Vijay, if, if I'm hearing you right, like to me, it kind of relates to a little bit about how the default mode network works for us and mm. the habitual ways of thinking um, get kind of those grooves get worn into our brain. So we fall into those a, a little bit more easily and we're less able to see a more expansive open view. Um, maybe that's a little bit more of that subjective experience um, getting encoded into us. And we think there's one way to perceive something all the time. You hear a song and it kind of generates the same mood that that song's already done in the past. Exactly. exactly um, yeah. And you already have sort of the ways to think about that song already ingrained in your head. And you're just following through with those grooves rather than being open to letting something um, new hit you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think the, that adventure into the unknown is uh, a major like, you know, when we think about, you know, um, the possibilities out there, I mean, the, the, you know, the one small step kind of going to the moon kind of a thing, like we never thought that would, is all possible. And the whole, the whole picture of humanity that humanity had in their head was like totally different. The reconceptualization, the reframing, the kind of slow process of creating a whole, you know, understanding that comes with it um, is amazing. Like the, the evolution of human beings is amazing. But I just want to quickly, we have about like five minutes left or four minutes left, not even. So I just want to quickly tell people this is Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, Truth to Power Show, Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote literacy, education, free expression, public art. We rely primarily on donations, donations from listeners like you. So please con continue to help us continue our work in the community. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support us at radiofulcon.org slash donate. If you uh, want to, if you if you're one of those people who shops on Amazon, you can just register us as your Amazon small charity, radiofulcon.org/amazon, and then uh, you know just go to search for it under Amazon Amazon Smile, Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, you can just download the apps for your iPhone or Android to listen a little bit more to um, the shows. And if you want, if you're in New York or if you want to keep in, keep abreast of the um, upcoming RP, RFB events. You can go to radiofilking.org slash newsletter and keep, keep our e-newsletter e in, your, in your inbox for you to learn a little bit more about us. Um, so, yeah, we only have a few more minutes left. So the closing thoughts I want to close with, um, what I was saying about the evolution of consciousness, you know, I know this is a huge topic, but, <laughs> uh, you know, just your thoughts on, like, you, you mentioned about the pygmies and, uh, and uh, the, people can check out this album, I believe you, you mentioned, to mention the album of the Baca pygmies and how... Um, your thoughts on, on the evolution of consciousness from, from the indigenous to the, to today. Yeah. I, I think the music of the pygmies shows that, um, indigenous societies really have so much beauty figured out already. And we, sometimes we think, um, that the Western mind, not, not that it knows best. I don't think that most people, hopefully we don't all think that that would be, so, yeah. but I think that, musically it's so interesting to hear music from indigenous cultures because you're really hearing the evolution of that culture through their musical expression and it can be so unique and different from anything that we've ever heard before and thus expose you to what that culture is about and what 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 is important to them and we can learn from that and mm -hmm. so what i find really intriguing about the pygmies is so so many things and and i really love I invite everyone to check out as much music from the Pygmies as you can, and that can be many different tribes with many different flavors. Um, but the most important thing to me that, that I take from it, or one thing that sticks out a lot, is that 
the entire community is involved in the music making process from the babies to the elderly people to the sick. No one is excluded mm -hmm. and they all, because they're all involved, they all learn to really respond well musically. And they do have certain people in the society that act as kind of the, the music master that could, shows everyone how the rhythms go and, and they sort of are the oral teachers and, and holders of the tradition there. And so they spread this knowledge around and the entire community sings at all, all hours of the day. There's even some people that play um, flutes of Jadal the harp and walk around at night to influence the dreams of people in the village. But they're making music for the sheer joy of it and to communicate that they're all in this together and all express... Right. Um, it, it could be they're just going to sing for a song for gathering mushrooms to, to wish them well, and they go out into the jungle yeah. and they're singing this at times, 10, 10 at a time to 50 at a time. Oh, wait, wait, Chris, Chris. The whole jungle. Sorry, sorry, I don't, don't yeah. mean to interrupt, but we're about to close out. So hope people, right. hopefully people will listen to, uh, search for and listen to some of your music, Wall of Years, and uh, tune in. The next two weeks we'll be doing a rebroadcast, but we're going to be rebroadcasting some of our prior Ukrainian guests. Uh, so definitely tune into those and, and learn a little bit more about um, the Truth to Power show through our uh, the, the introduction of our Ukrainian guests uh, next week and the week after. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you.